If you have already listened to the sermon, the podcast begins at about 13 minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> you guys keep it down. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. Let us pray. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our hearts that they might be wild. And then, oh God, open our hands that we might serve. I grew up in a small town in the West, that slow meandering way of life where people knew each other's names and paused to talk to everyone they knew because no one was really in a hurry. The women baked and the men hunted. What that means is that we were raised around guns. We were not allowed to play video games or watch movies that normalized killing. We were taught gun safety and a deep respect for the power guns hold. And we lost friends and loved ones to speeding bullets, to accidental shots and to gun violence and suicide. I remember when we lost John, Him and his friends were target practicing, and one of the guns accidentally went off when his friend was trying to unjam it. It was a devastating loss for our small town. I went to the viewing with a friend, and she took some time to sit with his body. We mingled for a few, mourned, cried, and as we were walking out, she told me she did all the things. She doubted his death, said she would miss him. She had told him goodbye and she had accepted his passing, you know, going through the stages of grief as quickly as she could. I asked her if she remembered anger. Oh no, I forgot. Hold on. So she went back in, told him how angry she was, and came back out just a couple of minutes later, confidently resting in acceptance. Don't we all wish grieving was so easy? I had a hunch So I looked up sermon titles on grief. Here are just a few that I found. Overcoming grief, dealing with grief, from sorrow to joy, grief to hope. How fast can we take this thing that happened, deal with it, overcome it, and return it back to the way things used to be? Isn't that how how people so often preach grief? Easy, cheap answers. God willed it. God needed another angel in heaven. Any words that stop grief from invading our space. And it isn't just physical death. COVID interrupted our lives. We are collectively grieving. 
as a country and as a world, we have all lost something. Graduation ceremonies, weddings, alone time, in-person worship, meeting in person, breathing fresh air, seeing smiles on people's faces. Listen now to this moment in Jesus' life when he was interrupted by death. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. What Luke asks us to see when we read this text is the mother. We know so much about her. Luke tells us very little about the man that has died, but he makes sure to tell us that she is a widow. She has lost not any child, but her only son. We know her grief is complex, like all grief is. A woman without a husband or child was likely to become a destitute beggar. She feels the deep weight of a lost child and of the ability to belong anywhere. Luke wants us to see this grief, the depth of the loss of a child and the loss of all her resources. Grief is complicated. Grief isn't five or six steps we can take a hop, skip and jump over. Grief pulls us deeply into struggle and confusion and emotions that I'm not sure even have a name. Adam Hamilton, a United Methodist preacher, has often shared a story from his past. He was away at college when his youth pastor from his home church died in a tra tragic accident. He was lifting a boom to the roof of a home when he hit some power lines, killing him instantly. His brother, Adam's best friend, started giving his brother CPR when he noticed that the three men that were on the roof were stuck to the boom by the still raging electrical current. So he pried the three off with a two by four, exposing his body to the current and also dying. Adam's faith was in turmoil. He had always believed that God was in control of all things, which worked in his simple childlike faith. But in the face of this tragedy, that belief fell apart. Adam, after losing these two friends, knew a loving God would not have made this happen. He recognized all of the simple, careless answers. God needed more angels. God needed to use their deaths to bring more people to Christ. He saw these cheap answers for what they were. Easy, cheap answers to force the complexity of their grief into a nice tidy box that would be easy to deal with. So Adam went the other way. God must be a God that never shows up, never intervenes. God must have created the universe and stepped aside to allow it to unfold. But that didn't work either. Adam had seen God show up, bring miracles that were so full of mystery. They could not be anything but God in his midst. Now I don't know the answer. I can't see into the mystery. I know I'm not a puppet. God does not control my every action, my every word. I am free to make bad choices that cause myself and others grief. I know electricity flows through power lines. 
if I touch them, my heart would stop beating. I can't explain to you why bad things happen. This is a mystery that humanity has wrestled with since we could think big thoughts. But what I do know is that our God, who doesn't make tragedy happen, does not have a shallow, does not have shallow words for comfort, but goes into the depths of grief and pain and fear and anger with us. God meets us there with compassion. Compassion means to feel with. Listen to the rest of the story of Jesus encountering death. When the Lord saw this, the widowed mother, he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them and they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen among us. And God has looked favorably upon his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. May God bless the reading, hearing, and experiencing of this word. As I was searching for illustrations and stories this week, searching for grief, I found a movie trailer for a documentary on the harm we are doing to the planet. It started with a very beautiful National Geographic type scene. Seagulls were flying and landing on a beach, hundreds of them. Bird calls filled the air. Then it cut to shots on the beach, outlines of birds, the remains with piles of plastic in the middle, then to birds struggling to move, to even breathe. Love comes with grief. If we do not care about the birds, we will not experience grief at their loss. God created us with the ability to love, to seek deep connections. And grief comes with the loss of those connections. As a side note, if we have a God of love, then we have a God that grieves. And we do see God's grief throughout the Bible. Jesus has compassion for this widow. Compassion means to feel with. Jesus knows the pain of grief. When I first wrote this sermon, it ended here. But life does not avoid hard subjects just because I'm working on a sermon about it. It was easy to talk about grief as a theory. The sermon got harder when late Wednesday night, I received a text that moved grief from a thought process to a real experience. A friend, Ron, died in his sleep. I spent much of 2020 bowling with Ron. We were on a team together. We boldly talked. Ron was very calm. He was a very clear presence in my life as we all struggled through grief that defined 2020. My son Devin and I hadn't seen Ron in weeks. I texted him but didn't hear a response. We had been missing him. Last Saturday, a friend of Ron's showed up to bowl and Devin and I asked about Ron. Oh, you didn't hear. A couple of weeks ago, he got hit by a car. He has a big bruise, but that's about it. So he's been at home resting. And then last night, I received a text that he had died in his sleep. Grief is not 
simple. Grief is not easy. And sometimes our life is interrupted by grief because we love, because we care, because we allow ourselves to connect with others. We are a species that grieves. In some ways, the text this week is really hard because I do not expect Jesus to show up, touch Ron's casket and return Ron to us. Instead, I know that Thursday when we have league, there will be tears, there will be pain, maybe anger, there will be grief. Yet, I am counting on the end of the story to be true. I need a God so big, so overflowing with love, that all funeral processions lead eventually through grief to abundant life and meaning to a collision with the compassionate God that resurrects us and folds us into loving arms like that of a mother overflowing with a greater love than we can ever truly know. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm sorry about Ron. Thank you. I know he was a friend. Hung out with him a lot, so that made, made the sermon um, that much more poignant and powerful, I suppose. Right? Do you did you ever have like you're preaching on something and then it's like instead of looking for an illustration, it comes and finds you? Yeah, not not quite like that. I mean, you know, certainly <laughs> not at that level. I'm sure. I'm sure there have been things that since I had the sermon on my mind, you know, pop up and, and I find a way to relate it but uh, yeah, this was pretty much on point right I mean, this was yeah uh, um, I remember when I was in seminary our Old Testament professor had a sermon to preach on one of the psalms on one of the joy joy psalms on one of the gratitude psalms and as he was preparing the sermon a classmate's child died and he went to his professor and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. I can't preach a joy filled psalm um, with so much grief in the air. And the professor was like, no, that's the exact message you need to preach. Mm. Um, so it, it felt like it feels like, you know, like it just, some, you know, this is the message to preach, right? Well, you can't you can't gloss over it. You can't keep it at a at a at a sort of a surface shallow level, um, you know, because it would be exposed, right? I mean, if it, if you had started your sermon with a little grief and ended with a whole lot of resurrection, um, that that would have been counter the way you felt. And anybody else feels uh, yeah. in the face of death. And I, I think I think that there was something powerful about how you stayed with the, the widow long enough to, uh, to to be where she was before before you got to the last part, which we'll talk about a little bit. It was beautiful and powerful, but. 
you kept that tension there. I assume it was on purpose, right? <laughs> I don't know, probably. I like, I, it, it's subtle in the text, but when you're reading the gospels, sometimes things are unintentionally subtle, yeah. but some things, once you know what you're looking for, like once you, if you take a minute to put yourself in the shoes of the first century writers, you can tell that wasn't subtle. It, it wasn't, it, we're reading it from out of context. And once I st- sat back and, you know, I read a couple of commentaries and stuff and it, it just, he, Luke says nothing almost about the sun, yeah. but I, I mean, the two facts, the two or three facts, like that this was her only son that's a whole story. Yeah. You know, that's a whole, you know, she's a widow. So she doesn't have a husband to take care of her. Luke didn't need to explain that to his, his readers, yeah. but you and I as preachers do. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the layers of grief run deep. I mean, it was, it was, she was, I mean, she was likely grieving the loss of the son, but a whole lot of other things that you mentioned too, right? All right, my name is Kent Ingram, and I'm pastor of First United Methodist Church of Colorado Springs, where 7.7 thousand people viewed our 11 o'clock worship service last Sunday on Facebook. Tiffany, who are you? Hi, I'm Tiffany, and my retinas are still attached. (laughs) Barely. So I, I have a little bit of a contextual question is that true i mean i i understand that he was an adult son very much um but i and i know people didn't in the ancient world didn't attach to children in the same way we do because children most likely were dead before five but in women were property so so she was her husband's property until her husband died and then she became her son's burden mm-hmm. um did family ties and i'm also thinking of the text um this is an old testament text our the quote that we've we've made it into be is water is thicker than no blood is thicker than water yeah but in reality the quote from scriptural text is um the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb Mm. That, that that in reality the, the you know it is exactly the opposite of what we say it is is that their ties were tribal ties their ties were you know probably, i guess tribal was their main tie more so than family in the way that we think of it yeah so i i i just i wonder as i was you know reading it how much of her grief was the human that was her son we put we project our understanding and our relationship of our with our children onto theirs but is that really i mean i'm i'm absolutely sure she grieved her son sure but is that grief the same that we would experience it yeah and, and you know, of course we don't know i mean we don't know what kind of Social structures are in place to care for her. You know, maybe her ex-husband's brother was alive. I don't know. You know, we're not told any of that in the story. The the points that we are told was, you know, widow, 
only son, which which kind of pushes us into that that sense of dependency. And and you know, I I I can't imagine. I mean, we I can't imagine there not being a love between a mother and a son. Maybe culturally it was treated differently. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't worship their children like we worship our children. Um, yeah, so, so there are probably some cultural expectations, but there's still enough in the scriptures of, of grief and sorrow and sadness over that kind of loss. But the one thing that I, that I was thinking of when we were talking about this is even if we don't know exactly what that meant for her future, it the future that she had envisioned was gone. Mm-hmm how she had anticipated things playing out that, you know, she would, she would be with her son until she died. You know, so, so, so whatever her future was, it wasn't what she had thought it was going to be. And, and, and that's where the grief is as well. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, that's nice. Right. So, I mean, cause that's kind of what my hope is that I get people thinking about is death in different ways and grieving in different ways. Yeah. Right. right. The grieving isn't just the death of a physical body that grieving, we, we can grieve. We should grieve. We do grieve the loss of the graduation ceremonies that didn't happen. That's grief. We are collectively grieving even what was, and here's the other thing, like we grieve things even when they're good transitions they're good losses right so if I quit a job and I'm and I move to a new job that I really want mm-hmm. I still grieve the old job yeah you, you know it's funny you say that because now that you've got me on Facebook I, I see uh, this time of year a number of our colleagues um announcing moves right mm, yeah and it's almost always i'm grieving where i'm leaving and i'm excited about where i'm going you know okay but is that truth or is that because we publicly have to love on the people <laughs> that we're still with <laughs> well, well I, I you know i'm, I'm I mean, sure there are some people leaving some churches you know they, they knock the dust off their sandals and never look back um you know, I've, I've left, what, four times, I guess, Boston Avenue, Wickline, uh, Lake Street, Appleton, and um, yeah, there's grief, you know, I mean, you've, you've made relationships, you've, you've poured yourself into it, and, and there's also, again, the, the uncertainty of what you're getting into, especially if you leave in a place where people liked you, you know, your ministry was going pretty well. Um, there's always the risk that, that you move and it just blows up on you. It's horrible. So yeah, there's, I, I mean, I, I don't know to what degree these people were telling the truth, but, but it sounded sincere. And I know that there's, there's something, they're going to grieve something you know, about that, about that leaving and, and have the uncertain future before them. So, so you've not had to do that yet. So <laughs> no, I have not had to do that yet. Talk to me, I, I, I brought this up, but talk to me a little bit about your decision to focus on the grief as the bulk of, of the sermon. And that was obviously a conscious decision. You, you did not move in and say, hey, look, you raised him from the dead. Let's talk about that. I mean, you really dwelled on that first part. Yeah. Um, I, oh, man. I'm trying to think of the thought process. When I was reading the text, 
there is so much in here I could have focused on. So the commentaries point out that the man who was raised was, you know, the dead man was raised. So the verb raised is connected to the dead man. And then, uh, and then he gets up and speaks and prophets speak. So when they say, look, a prophet has been raised, Mm. The one that has been raised and spoke was the dead man, not Jesus, mm. which is really, an, in, that would have been really interesting vein to explore, right? Yeah. Like, uh, because you know, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, even traditionally and yeah. in theologically and in our belief system, we're not saying that guy could not have been a prophet. Yeah, right. Yeah. He could have been. It, it, it's not against the grain, right? No, there, there's enough ambiguity. It's it's a little bit, I mean, at, at a much deeper level, it's a little bit like Zacchaeus climbed the tree because, because he couldn't see Jesus because he was short. Who was short? Yeah, we don't know who was short, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the ambiguity kind of makes you say, ah, but, but this is a more interesting ambiguity, right? Yeah. Was I mean, prophetic, yeah. I mean, I could let there's a funness in that, right? There's a funness for me. Um, I met with Todd this week and and we were talking about, you know, kind of doing personal check-in stuff. And and I I talked about um, um oh man, I so I was talking about preaching and listening to sermons. And when I first started coming to church, I listened to sermons all the time. Like we're talking for hours and hours, like eight, 10 hours a day of just pure sermon after sermon. Um, I could not get enough. And it was when podcasts were first coming out or, you know, becoming like much bigger and churches were doing podcasts more often. And I was just, oh man, in them all the time. And then something happened over time. And, you know, and part of it's you go to seminary, right? So you go to seminary and sermon and you, you learn how the sausage is made. And all of a sudden the sausage has a little bit different of a flavor. You know, it wasn't as meaningful, I guess, sermons shifted for me. They didn't sit quite as deeply in my soul. So there's this dry period from when I, you know, kind of when that shift happened, um, until I started preaching last year that I just, I wasn't getting depth in me. I wasn't having very often those spaces where, you know, in that deep relationship with God that I was just touched and excited and curious. And, um, until I started preaching, when you start preaching like that's for me, the new, instead of listening to sermons, like digging into the text and, um, and, and creating sermons um and that like a prophet was raised is just that almost a light bulb like chase this down moment yeah so i mean um and another one that you know i thought about in that was it's a collision and i i use the word collision intentionally it comes from my study but I didn't preach on it. I could have. So we have Jesus and his disciples colliding with this funeral party leaving town. Mm -hmm. And then there's this encounter and the end and the end of the text and just the beautiful way Luke tells stories, the end of the text, they're spreading out. So they, they go and tell everybody. So it just feels like this collision then spreads. 
Yeah. And there's something in that too, that, that I love the, the words around it as part of it, but just that image. Yeah. So was it, was it the, uh, the theme for the series built upon the reality of, of last year's pandemic that kind of pushed you to grief? Uh, was that? Yeah, I mean, when you when you title a sermon "Interrupted by Death," <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it kind of pushes you in a very specific direction. I think you and I were talking about our sermons, and and I was kind of laying down the like five hundred points that I end up with, and you know, yeah. late Monday morning, and and. And you had said something in that conversation about grief. And it just, when you said that, I'm like, I don't know what I'm preaching on, but I know it's going to be grief. Yeah. I think we were talking about the complexity of it. Yeah. That it's lots of layers of it. And she had um, lots of grief. Yeah. So well, let me, let me, uh, I want to quibble over, over a word that you use. You, 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 um, you use the word side note. Remember, you remember the context yeah. of that? Yeah. The side note that, that God, if God is a God of love, then God must grieve. And love and grief are connected. Then, I mean, I don't know if I said that, but I need to when I actually preach it. I've not yeah. preached this one yet. If God is a God of love and love is connected to grief, then God must grieve. Yeah. My, my initial reaction to that is that's not a side note. No, 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 that, that is a sermon. I, I wanted a really good, really clear on-ramp. If I have lost people yeah, as a side note brings them back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because that felt to me like the, 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 you know, this bridge between grief and resurrection. So should I not? You say as a side note. Well, I, I, again, it's one of those things. It, it may work as an effective tool, as a literary tool, to, to get people to pay attention. Uh, but it was it was a little bit like like the Anne Lamott quote last week. Um, when you said that, I, I wanted to stop and, and and just soak that in a little bit. I, mean, I, I wanted to get my mind around that. So. You, I'm having a moment where I'm, when you preach, when preachers preach, there's so often something that they say that you're like, wait, like, and it just sits, it just holds. Yeah. Um, and you just, it, it like, you know, the Anne Lamont quote came from uh, what sermon you preached, right? Cause you've obviously used that quote too, or yeah. said it, you know, you, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Um, I forget that because it's sitting in my head for a week. Yeah. That that it's new for others. Yeah. And I'm sure I do that all the time. I'm sure I just hurry on past something that that pulls people out of the sermon to kind of, I mean, they might agree, disagree. I never thought of it that way, whatever. But that was the moment for me in this sermon where mm. you know, God, if God is a God of love, then God must grieve. And I and and I wanted to. You know, if 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 I were at my best thinking when I was preaching, for both of those quotes, I would stop and say, "Let me say that again." 
so yeah i i will try to remember that <laughs> i mean the problem is half the time the lines that we want to remember or for me half the time the lines i really want to remember word for word are the ones i completely forget <laughs> i hear you i hear you like last week it was you know the somebody you know they carry the they carry the scars of a wild heart and i'm like crap i can't believe i forgot to say that that was important yeah. <laughs> um so let me ask you do you think it's true? Do you think if our God is a God of love and love, the ability to love includes grief, then does our God grieve? Yeah, I, I, I think that, I think that's true. I mean, you, you, know, you look, you look at the Lazarus story, right? I mean, Jesus wept. He raised him from the dead, <laughs> but, but, but he still, took on that, that pain and that, and that sorrow and that grief in a deep and profound way. Um, I, think, I think when we suffer, God grieves. And I, 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 you know, I, I've used this before in the podcast. I remember the rabbi Martin Clinton lecture years ago at Boston Avenue Church who, with his thick German accent kept saying, at Auschwitz, God was wounded. It was wounded. Oh. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think that if if God is love, as as the epistle says, then 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 love hurts when the ones you love hurt. Um, mm. Don't you think so? What do you think? You're not going to go Presbyterian on me here, are you? <laughs> no, I think this sermon. I mean, I don't. I'm. I have concerns about preaching the sermon, so maybe we should talk about that next. But yeah. the, the the wrestling through this one is probably on the wrestling side, it, not so much the the written the sermon side, but the wrestling side was a more theological deep sermon than than my wrestling often is, um, because you know what I mean the the odyssey right yeah. like yeah. like does god cause this does well in some ways this is the first time i've ever came away from a sermon saying yes god caused our grief hmm. but but because the only way to have grief have love is to also have grief yeah and, god I mean, made us able to love god forced us to grieve. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's not a, you know, it's, it's like, oh man, what is that? I, I cannot remember the word. I was trying to remember. It. I never actually can pull it up. Um, when you're in a, in, you know, a word that, that by definition means something. So like, if you say bachelor, you know, you're not talking about a married man. So they're, they're, they kind of, it's a, it's a philosophy word. I don't remember yeah. it, but it just kind of means because this thing, then this other thing has to be absolutely true. And, um, I, that feels like this grief. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think that the, the capacity to love brings with it the capacity, uh, it brings with it the, the, the reality of, of loss. Yeah. So here's my 
question that I never, that I don't, that is the mystery maybe. Is God's grief, if God is outside of time, I, I mean, so there's the two ways of thinking about it. Is God forever? Like God is within time. He is just all time. Or is God outside of time? But either way, like, I guess what I'm really not, I, I'm, I don't need an answer for, but what I'm really curious about, what I really, um, I want to play with more is, you know, in those moments of grief, are those moments new for God? Mm. Because can God grieve if God sees the resurrection at the end? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's sort of like you watch your kids go to college and you watch them struggle with their homework and you know, they're beating themselves up and it's having a hard time and you're grieving with them. And at the same time, you know, that they'll get over it. Yeah. Yeah. But you hurt because they hurt. Yeah. It's not because the work's going to end up because in the moment. Or, or is it different than that? Is it, is it altogether different than that? Where instead of God being outside and looking in, God really like, and seeing though it's not forever, it's fine. But is God instead there in the grief without, with like, did God give up God's power to see all time Mm -hmm. and therefore can sit in the grief as if there's not an end to the grief? like the person in the grief yeah and i don't know i don't know the answer to that and, and obviously nobody does but that's you know the, the, you, you go back to the process theologians and, and the, you know the, the god that's becoming and the notion that that god is affected by god's creation that, that our behavior our actions affects god i believe that to be true i believe that to be true now um you know what 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 finally God knows and doesn't know, what finally God, um, you know, I, I mean, there, there is this, there's tendency to, in, in the West with our cultural Calvinism to, to focus on God's sovereignty and, and to fall into this Greek trap that somehow, um, somehow sovereignty with all the omnis means that God doesn't feel or suffer or or, or uh, experience things the way we do. And I just think that's unbiblical. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think incarnation puts to the lie that, that, that picture of God as, as disconnected. You know, from um, and, I, and I don't know the final answer on that, but I, do, but I do believe in the truth that if God is a God of love, then God must grieve. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so you did, <laughs> excuse me, you did, excuse me, in your sermon, you did, you did get to resurrection, and I thought you handled that beautifully. Tell, tell me a little bit about, about this, you know, that, that all funeral processions head in a certain direction. Tell me about where that idea came from. I mean, that's just a beautiful way to, to get to that point. So talk about that a little bit. I really, I mean, this is the spot I struggled with the text, right? And I did this a couple of weeks ago with another one, like, oh, with Jesus and the storm. Jesus woke up from the storm, fixed the storm. 
this week Jesus runs into death and fixes it. And I'm like, I, that bothers me because you can't go into a child's room and like a dying child's room and say, Oh, Jesus will come fix it. Um, And it was, it, it is a dishonor to the text to not acknowledge resurrection. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I took it in a different direction for a long time. Like, you have to stay with grief. You have to stay with grief. And the text, like, I was really conflicted with the text because the text, there was no staying with the grief. Jesus fixed it. Like, like at the beginning of the sermon, which we should also talk about, um, at the beginning of the sermon, and I'm like, you know, you can't just go over grief. You can't just go over grief. You can't just go over grief. But I have a text where they just go over the grief. Um but when I step back again, time plays a lot to this one. If I step back and say and acknowledge that it's a both and, it's the paradox of needing to rest in the promise of resurrection mm-hmm. and that love, and at the same time acknowledging that, 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 that there's a time gap that there isn't in, in the gospels. Yeah, yeah, it's all collapse. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I say this, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm attacking your other sermons. You, you have a, um, a breadth of knowledge and understanding of, of a lot of sociological principles and, and psychological ideas and understandings. And you, you, you lean towards the Brene Browns, and, you know, I mean, those kind of folks because what they say is transformative. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm I'm using Brene Brown in my sermon for this week, but this this was the most theological sermon you preached in a while, and you acknowledge that. You mentioned that a little bit earlier in the in the, in the podcast that there's that, that you were really doing some theological wrestling, and I just want to say I enjoy that. I mean, I, I enjoy you you. Offering your theological views, you know, the, the view of the nature of God, the view of the nature of resurrection, and some of those things are important. So, so do do that too. Oh yeah, no, most of it's based on Brene Brown. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Um, for me, and I know you and I are different. I mean, for tons of reasons because we're different, but like my my foundation the ground of my my hope is as much in the humanity that god created as in god not because we're not broken but because because for me that's how i see who god is if if i look at a painting that leonardo da vinci did i'm looking inside of his head in a way that that he could sit down and tell me forever but a painting exposes it Mm -hmm. if i believe we are created by god then i believe by looking at who we are exposes who god is Mm. I, i believe god is relational i believe god is love I believe God is connection and belonging. The the when I look at humanity, I, I mean it's like it's not really a trinity, it's more like you know, a mass entity. I don't know what that would be, but 
but human beings are relational. And if I want to know about God, and so this is my systems thinking too, right? That when you shift one thing, everything else moves. And God created that. There's not a stability. I, I mean, it's it's these systems that that one thing shifts and everything shifts, the butterfly effect kind of thing. Um, that just relational piece for me. So, so when I, in a totally different way than you, when I go into sociology, when I go into Durkheim and Brene Brown, I do see a depth, uh, uh, an understanding of God. And for me, it helps me understand, see Bible stories in a way that feels more true than just, I, I had, unlike you, maybe you did too. Maybe we could talk about this for a minute. Um, th- there is a very shallow understanding and way to read the Bible, right? Literalism, here's what it says. That's what it means. Jesus walked up, raised the dead to prove who Jesus was. And that was the end of it. It's very shallow, can be very shallow. I had to find a way in my adult life because I didn't have that as a kid to bring depth to the text. And that was the lens I brought. Sure, sure. Well, uh, yeah, and, and obviously I, I, it's, 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 it's complicated and maybe we could do a whole podcast on Schleiermacher versus Bart. You know, see, see where we come out with this. You, you are certainly a product. In many ways, you don't, you don't fit the mold of Isla um, uh, with, with some of its um, cliched living. Don't tell anybody. Um, Don't tell them that. <laughs> they'll, they'll take your alumni money, whether you fit in the world so, or not. Uh, but, but again, you know, there, there is this, this anthropological beginnings at, at doing theological work rather than sort of a theological beginning. And, that, you know, and that's, and that's, that's, a, that's a, it makes sense, you know, certainly at one level. Uh, and it, to me, it's not about about the order of experience, but it's about what's primary and important. And that's that's all of the, a lot of the conversation. I, I I just am more bargaining, you know. I just yeah, and I, and I, I just I mean, my argument. I know we argue. We should just do a podcast on this because you yeah. and I can like go for blows. I don't think you can know God apart from knowing humans. I I I just, I just it, you know, in order for us to know God, Jesus, God sent Jesus. Like sure. he didn't send like some like unknowable, unreachable mystery and said, here's who I am. And here's how you know me. Like God tells us who God is through humanity. So to say, well, I am going to start with God feels like pretending like I can know all of God and I'm going to name God and describe God and talk about God and pretend like there is no me in between God and me. Sure. And, I, and my rejoinder to that would be if you start with experience, you can make any God you want. You know? No, God <laughs> makes it complicated, right? Yeah, so right. I, I think this is another podcast. My feels, but that's a, whole other, that's a whole other podcast, you know. Yeah. I, I, I can create a God in my image pretty easily. But that, well, so, yeah. and my argument would be that's exactly what you're doing when you're saying, I, I have no biases. I'm going to start with God. Well, no, I mean, obviously I have biases. And, and I need I need the text and I need the community and I need the tradition to help mm-hmm. shape for me though. So yeah, but 
Uh, yeah, we, we, we need we, to do a podcast on that because maybe we should do a podcast going through my uh, my uh, my theological uh, documents yeah, because yeah. there is a lot of Brene Brown, Schleiermacher, Dirk Hyde sociology woven throughout it. But you really yeah. like my paper, so I did. It was brilliant, <laughs> and, and, and and part of it is that I, I respect the kind of consistency. That, that was found in your paper. I mean, you knew what you believed, you knew why you believed it, you had the ability to, to speak to that and, and point to it. I mean, the system that you built was consistent throughout mm-hmm. and, 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 and powerful and rich, you know? I mean, and that was, it was wonderful. I, I, it's, I mean, I've read lots of stuff because I'm on the Board of Board Ministry. And I think yours was as good as anybody's ever was in terms of that kind of consistency and language around your theological stuff so thank you yeah good stuff tell me about the the beginning what is it you wanted to talk about oh so i have two things that i want to talk about the beginning and the content so the beginning and we might have talked about this before i took the anna lamont you know practice that she talks about in bird for bird i took a story that was real i i kind of cut it apart um and added it to a different story that was also real to make one complete story that is not real. Um, and, 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 you know, it's just a way to protect, um, to protect the reality of relationships and, you know, but it, so it's more of like, I don't know. Do you ever do that? Do you ever take a story and make it your own? Well, I, I do that, and I don't always do it on purpose. I, I've shared with you before, maybe on this group, that the, 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 um, the most commonly asked question of my wife when I get home after church and I preach is she will look at me, mention a story, and say, did you really think it happened that way? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I get it wrong all the time. And I always say, but did it preach? And she'll say, yes. I said, okay, that's all that matters. So... <laughs> So I, you know, I, I, I have, I have shifted some things. We have talked a little bit about, about your story and I understand why you needed to shift some things there. And, and I think, I think it's okay. We, we used to call it the evangelist license. You know, you, you're not making stuff up out of whole cloth. And the point of the story is not what happened. Uh, the, the point of the story was um, in this particular story, it was the silliness of thinking you could go through the stages of grief in five minutes, you know, that, that, that somehow you could get it behind you. Um, and that's true. Mm, that is truth. So, it, I mean, that kind of feels like, like Genesis, right? Yeah. Like it may not have happened that way, but it is truth. That's right. That's right. Um, so did I walk the line? Did I, did I walk the center of the political line? Okay. Because in, sure. in this case, like, I know I talked, I, I say the word gun, and sometimes that feels like even the word gun is like, you know, something politically charged, um, but it was just a different world we lived in, right? It, it was, I mean, guns were still dangerous, but we didn't live in a world of these video games and movies, and guns weren't flippant, right? Which it feels like they are today. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's always a danger when you mention guns, you're going to trigger either side you know around that and, and I think I think that you painted a picture of the reality of your rural existence where guns were just a part of it it was not they were not a 
They were not a political statement. You didn't own a gun to make a political statement. Mm -hmm. A gun because you shot guns. You went hunting. You, you, you know, I mean, that, that's just what you did. So I didn't, I didn't sense in there any kind of politicizing of the issue. You know, to make make a point. I mean, it was it was an accident. Some kid got mm -hmm. killed, unfortunately and and painfully using a gun. So. Yeah, that was hard. I mean, you have a gun, don't you? Um, sort of. I have a, a, a borrowed one. Um, oh, okay. just when the pandemic started, I you know, and it's not fear. I mean, it's locked up and all of that stuff. I just, especially when the pandemic first started, we didn't know where everything was going to go, where it was, and and you know, there's things. Oh. Um, I you know, I live alone. Like, <laughs> I just needed to be really. I just. I was just aware of the world in which we were possibly going into. So I'm careful, but I'm also well-trained, right, in guns because yeah. I grew up around them. Yeah. And my point wasn't that it's good or bad. It's just that nobody can attack you about being and I, by a gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other question, I am preaching a pretty heavy sermon on grief, knowing I have kids 10 feet in front of me. Yeah. And, and I think, I haven't talked to Marjorie, but when Marjorie and I have talked, like, I think I understand her stance is we wanted to invite children into worship because we wanted to invite them into the fullness of life, which does include grief. It includes the dancing, includes the joy, includes all of those things. Now, because Marjorie and I are on the same page does not mean the parents are. Yeah, I, but, you know, I, I think, I think grief is such an abstract concept to kids of that age. Um, you're talking six, seven, eight years old, whatever. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they may have experienced death. You know, they may, they may have experienced grief, but, but I don't, I don't, I didn't feel like the sermon was maudlin. I didn't feel like it was uh, an attempt to, to sort of uh, dwell on death. I, I just didn't sense that, that you were manipulating death to, to, to sort of get to your point around grief i i just i can't anticipate any anybody you know parent being concerned about that but that you know that's i mean i wouldn't have cared if my kids heard that yeah okay that's helpful um i got nothing else all right my name is kent ingram and i'm pastor of first united methodist church of colorado springs where 7.7 thousand .7, people viewed our 11 o'clock worship service last Sunday on Facebook. Tiffany, who are you? Hi, I'm Tiffany, and my retinas are still attached. <laughs> Barely. Let's listen to some music then. Let's send it back to the band. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's too funny. It's only a 7-7? Seven -seven? I, I haven't looked at an hour. <laughs> How would I know?